Hello and welcome to episode number three of It Takes Two to Tango, conversations that move us. This is Martina. And I'm Nat. And together we are two life coaches on a mission to make the world a better dance floor. In this series, we invite you to a metaphorical dance. It's a conversation about how you can partner with life in a more meaningful way. And we will translate some of the concepts that we both have learned from Argentine tango and from ballroom dancing off. We will translate them off the dance floor so that you too can experience the kind of bliss that we experience in the embrace of a partner on the dance floor. And so that you get to experience that in your life and in your leadership. So Martina, shall we dance? I would be delighted. <laughs> awesome. So in today's episode, um, we're going to be talking about performance anxiety. And two weeks ago in our last episode, I shared uh, a story about my first performance. So I just want to review that with you here um, in case you didn't get a chance to listen to that. So my first performance was probably back in, well, this was in ballroom. So I started learning ballroom in um, the fall of 1994. And it might have been that same year. I don't forget, but within that same year, I had my first ballroom showcase and I danced the waltz. And the interesting thing about that performance was that I danced off time, but I didn't know it because I didn't really hear the music. And people said that they were cheering for me, but I didn't really see them in the room um, or hear them. And when it was done, it was just kind of a blur. <laughs> so it's an interesting experience for the first time to really not be present to what was happening and just kind of going through the motions, um, thinking that I was dancing, but then looking back and seeing, hmm, no, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Um, my first uh, performance actually was a waltz as well. And um, it was really interesting. My uh, dance partner did a very kind thing he invited me into a different dance studio with, there was just a small group there and he just invited me to dance and to, to, you know, go through our dress rehearsal. He said, bring the dress and this way we can make our own dress rehearsal. What I didn't know is that he had made arrangements with the studio owner that we would actually perform as a dress rehearsal for the group. And so we're outside, you know, outside the studio doing a couple lifts. And back then I didn't know much about dancing. So I wore basically a prom dress and I felt click, 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 <laughs> the hooks on my back ripping. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's not good. I will have to fix that. And then before I knew it, we were walking in and were being announced to dance. And all I could think about was, I wonder if the zipper is going to open. <laughs> <laughs> and I was more focused on the hook on my back and less on the music. But everything went well. We got through it and the adrenaline kicked in afterwards. I remember doing the last bow, a little bit shaking, and then the shake started happening. And I got red like a tomato and we sat down and somebody had filmed it. And so Phil says to me, okay, I'm going to show you the video. 
But here's what I want you to do. So we're going to look at it three times. The first time, you look at it as if you've never seen it before. The second time, you get to look only for the things you did well. And then on the third time, we're going to talk about what we can improve. And, you know, that stayed with me, right? Because if it wouldn't have been for him, I would have just noticed every single time I was thinking about the hook that had burst on my dress and the mistakes that I made, and it would have been a completely different experience. But him holding a space for me like that and being able to tune into what actually really happened was one of the biggest life lessons I think I've, I've learned about performing and about dancing and about being with somebody. Wow, that's a so. really great framework. Uh, it reminds me of, I took a Qigong class, uh, training class last weekend, and their philosophy is everything is good, better, or best. Um, so you can't get it wrong. You know, whatever you think that you're doing as you're learning, it's you start with good. And then you, you can get better or best, but there, there's nothing wrong or bad. So that's that's that feels similar yeah. to what Phil um, led you through. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's congruent with um, I'm learning right now from Rick Hansen about positive neuroplasticity. Um, he claims that you literally can build new neurons to hardwire happiness. He actually has a book called Hardwiring Happiness. And um, that's the same thing, you know, he teaches techniques on how do you take in the good more in order to overcome the negativity bias that is hardwired into our brains as a matter of survival. And, you know, I think that's one way that we can, that we actually can overcome those things and feel better for the next performance, which, which I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the reason that we wanted to talk about performance anxiety today, um, aside from the stories, which are, are fun to review and, and uh, reflect on, is um, to really see how, given the current circumstances of the world, um, how we can redefine um, what a good performance is, right? Um, because for me, when I danced that first performance and then subsequent ones, it took some time before I could actually really be present and not let my nervousness and the thoughts take over my body and, and you know, not allow me to be present. And it was based on the definitions I had or the beliefs I had about who I was, what, how am I valued? Um, what if I look stupid? Um, what if I mess up, which then people will think I'm stupid. Uh, um, this idea that I need to be perfect. Um, like we, we have all this conditioning of who we should be and who we can't be that it prevents us from really living life in a meaningful way for ourselves, right? So often we're projecting uh, what we, what other people expected of us onto ourselves. And we try to meet those expectations 
but we're not clear on what those expectations are. So we're keep on working harder to meet expectations that don't have a clear definition and it causes a lot of anxiety for ourselves. And we end up taking action and doing things from a place of fear and anxiety, which robs us of the experience as a whole. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, I think in dance, it becomes visible, right? Because then you meet, you miss the beat in the music, you forget a piece of the choreography. And for me as a follower, that's particularly unsettling because I need to know the choreography, but I also need to be prepared for you as a leader to lead something completely different. Because if you forget, we still need to go through this performance as a lead and follow so that we keep contact with the music, the dance floor, each other, and the audience. And, uh, and I think sometimes in, in real life off the dance floor, these things are not, are not as visible, right? We think of performance anxiety as in, okay, I need to give a speech or I need to make a presentation and I need to impress people. And then, you know, the agenda of impressing somebody becomes larger than the meeting of expectations and the listening into the moment to connecting actually with the audience that I'm performing for in those moments. And I think it gets particularly tricky in the day-to-day -day performance, right? When we look at that being present and performing for each other is not just something that happens on a dance floor, the boardroom, or you know, when I'm entertaining an audience or dazzling a, with a presentation. It also goes into the one-on-one -on -one conversations that we have where we want to convey a point or we want to learn something about the other person. And it can easily become a performance if we forget to be present and forget to listen. Yeah, performances is such a um, big influence uh, in our society. Um, we're always asked to perform. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, this idea of like reaching this definition of success that's defined by how you look. Right. Like I want to look successful or I want to look perfect. And, you know, the um, keeping up with the Jonas's is, you know, a, a definition of success based on having specific things. And if you compare yourself and you don't measure up to that, it can make you feel inferior. And then it moves you to um do whatever you need to do to try to meet that level but it's not it's not a true um it's not a true goal yeah and and even competing with yourself can do that mm -hmm. and as a dancer it's it's clear like you know we we have this one movement and we know the bliss of when this movement all comes together and you gracefully flow through whatever turn it is or complicated movement that you did. And so the next time you step on the dance floor, you know, you erroneously try to duplicate the feeling from three mm -hmm. minutes ago or from yesterday. And just by doing that, you forget to be in the moment 
and you actually botch the movement and the grace because you have learned something by now. This is not the same moment as three minutes ago. So actually wiping it off, whether it was a bad experience or even a good experience, and then stepping into the new situation with a beginner's mind yet again, I think that's the big art and the science that I've learned through performing in dance. Yeah, and I think it really relates to what we're all experiencing right now. It's, you know, people talk about the new normal or, you know, there every day there there's something new, it seems. There's no end to what is happening in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it can be so easy to uh, think back to 2019 or early 2020 and think, oh, you know, those were the good days. And um, we're waiting for that to come back. And we miss out on the richness of life that's happening now. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of um, tragedy uh, in the world right now. And it's sad, it's um, draining, it can be exhaustive. Uh, and at the same time, happening at the same time are other very beautiful moments. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And they can feed us, right? They can really feed us. And I think another complexity that that um, adds in is, you know, how we are performing like you and I right now, we're performing on Zoom, right? And that has brought a whole new dimension to many of us. And um, especially to people who are so used to walking through the office and see their employees perform right there in front of them. And I've, I've recently had quite a few conversations with leaders who said, you know, I feel, I feel weird about this. I don't know what they're doing when they're at home. And how do I know they're showing up? And how do I know work gets done? And I think a lot of what we know as performance and what we qualify as performance needs to be redefined through the way that we inform each other of our expectations, right? That is, it's such a great opportunity to revisit our visions, to revisit our benchmarks and our metrics on how do I know that I've done a good job, right? To ease my own willingness of performing, my own anxiety of performing when I'm working from home and uh, have that enthusiasm to get yet on to another Zoom call or Zoom meeting. And also for the leaders to know I can trust my team and I know they know what our joint vision is, what our expectations are and how we measure each other on our expectations and our mutually agreed benchmarks. Yeah, it definitely requires a new type of leadership. Um, you know, I, I, one thing, one of the things that I really admire about my wife, Olga is, um, as, as the owner of a dance studio, uh, with staff members, um, she does not like to micromanage at all, That like, that's her biggest, like, thing that she dislikes. She doesn't want to micromanage her staff. She expects them to be self-motivated. If they, if they need guidance, then they can come and ask her for questions. But she's she's not one to hover over them and see if they're getting work done, right? If they're not getting work done because there's some problem, then have a conversation. But if 
you know, if they're lazy or need someone to hound them, then eventually, you know, maybe they're not a good fit. And I bring this up because, you know, the, the comment about, well, how do I know if they're getting work done? I think that's based on an older model of like, they need to be in the office and we need to um, manage them. We need to have some sense of control to know that work is getting done. But what if we change the model where we really invite people to, um, to, to do their part, right? And, and I see this on the dance floor as well, like in Tango, where in the first episode, we talked about how the follower is not weak, that, that um, he or she is a proactive um, partner in the dance, right? And so um, as a leader, I cannot expect my follower to just do whatever or to do nothing, uh, right? That, that there is definitely a partnership that happens that makes the dance beautiful and, and possible. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the basis for that is trust. And trust also grows on the basis of shared expectations and agreements. Right. And when we step on the dance floor, it's pretty clear, you know, we have an agreement that like if you and I were to step on a dance floor, I would expect you to lead and you would expect me to follow. Yet I would also expect you to follow through on your leads. Right. You make mm -hmm. an invitation and I would then expect you to step into where I'm creating a space for you. And I think in, in leadership and corporations that follow through and that dance with each other and that trust and the uh, renegotiation of agreements that need to be renegotiated uh, when things change or when the vision changes or when we pivot, right? Or when there's traffic on the dance floor or in the corporation. I think that's where sometimes misattunements happen and where we lose track of each other, leader, follower, or the follow through. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in regards to the performance anxiety for, um, for let's say me as a leader on the dance floor, it requires what you said for me to follow through, which means that I need to be connected to myself. Um, I need to um, be confident in, in what I can do. It doesn't mean that I have to uh, like, um, overperform, like try to look better than I am, right? Mm -hmm. To look more skilled than I am. That's an insecurity that can come through as trying to perform to hide my insecurity. So I need to really be comfortable with where I am and know that I, you, I can still lead my partner and just be comfortable in the space that I'm comfortable with, right? Um, I, I think that's really important to um, prevent any of that anxiety that can yeah. come up. Um, and then I think also from a follower perspective, there's that you said about mutual expectations that um, to respect, and I'm, I'll let you talk more about this as well, um, but to respect where the leader is at, right? To, to have that respect and um, um, 
Maybe it's just respect, that respecting where your leader is at, not overstepping, not trying to um, take over control. Or back lead. Back lead, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and another thing that was very valuable advice that I received in regards to performance anxiety was that my dance instructor asked me, do you know how you react under pressure? And I remember asking her, well, what, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, some people start shaking. Some people get really nervous. Other people get really calm. And yet other people all of a sudden bring 150% of their energy hmm. you know, under pressure because they thrive and feed on the audience. And all of a sudden there's this drive. Do you know what you do? And I didn't. And I actually still don't. And I think that's to a certain extent, you know, having that question in my mind, it works in my favor because every time I step into a performance mode, I get back into a beginner mind of saying, okay, let's see what comes up now. Right. On the other hand, I also learned <laughs> the first time I, I danced with a pro, right? I performed with a pro. We were doing our routines. We were, you know, practicing before the actual performance. And then we step in and the announcement comes and the first tones come. And all of a sudden he is in performance mode. And he is one of the people that goes 150%. And it's like, holy cow, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> So I've now learned that about him. Hmm. And I know that before the performance, I need to actually ask for a 150% performance. Let me feel you the way that you are in performance mode so that I'm prepared for that. And I'm not all of a sudden thinking about my heels potentially sliding away underneath me because your steps have gotten bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and. And so, you know, knowing that about yourself and knowing, learning what questions to ask of your leader in that case has become very valuable for me. And I've learned to even do that, you know, in front before important Zoom meetings or recordings like, OK, let me ask some questions on where are you and how big is your stride today? And, you know, where are you going today with 80 percent or 150 percent so that I'm attuned to your level of energy and our dance is beautiful, even under pressure. Yeah, I can see how that can translate even into the office where um, understanding, being perceptive of your coworkers or your, your bosses of, you know, like seeing the pattern, like this is how they are when they're under stress versus just judging them and name calling them and, you know, saying this is, this is, you know, they're a jerk or they're this. No, they're most of the time they're great, but when they're under pressure, this is how they behave. It doesn't make them a bad person, you know, to have compassion for them and maybe to communicate that if there's an opportunity for it. Yeah. Wow. We've uh, came up with quite a few tools today. So if I recap from, from the top, we started with, you know, be kind to yourself when you review your performance. You know, look at it first, knowing that, you know, whether it's on the dance floor or it's in, in a professional setting, they don't, the audience does not know your script or your choreography. So the first time you review it, review it with an open mind. The second time you review it, Review it kindly and only look for the things that you did well. 
And then on the third one, then look for the things that you can improve. And you added a, a great philosophy from your Qigong class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just always, always look at things as good, better, or best. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And then we talked about the value of trust, of vulnerability and expectations, so that you get to review those and always come to the situation with a fresh mind, expecting the best of yourself and others. And also allowing the vulnerability that really allows you to trust and be present. Right. What else did we cover? <laughs> we covered a lot. Those are the main points. And I'm curious, uh, dear audience who is listening, you know, what else did you hear? What else um, have you experienced when it comes to performance or performance anxiety? And what has helped you? You know, it's always good to know other people's tools on how do you lean into that anxiety so that you get to have it and the anxiety doesn't get to have you in those moments when it really counts under pressure. Yeah, so we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you've experienced performance anxiety or maybe share uh, a, a performance, uh, maybe your first performance, what happened, those, those stories are always great. Uh, and uh, as Martina uh, just shared, um, you know, how, how do you respond to that anxiety or, or being aware of, you know, how do you, how do you react under pressure so that we can start having more conversations about this? Yeah, I might even be brave and post a video of my first performance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have that on digital format. <laughs> I do. I okay. do. The prom dress and all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. So um, again, whether you're a dancer or not, we would love to hear your perspectives and experiences. Follow our page um, and invite friends that uh, you think might be interested. So uh, thank you for this wonderful dance. And, um, you know, everyone remember it takes two to tango and to create conversations that truly move us. So until next time, this is Martina. And I'm Nat. And we're two life coaches on a mission to make the world a better dance floor. And here's our bows. <laughs> <laughs>